Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's uh, Talking Stories. Uh, this is our podcast with myself, Mark, and... Audi, hello interwebs! You d- <laughs> I wonder if that works as well on uh, pure audio as it does when you do it on video. Uh, uh, we should caption it and just... How would we caption it? But you do your, your waving hand gesture when yeah. you say hello interwebs. You, you, can, uh, you can imagine me as much more handsome than I actually am. <laughs> it, it was funny actually recently on one of your videos that you have on YouTube about St. Patrick. Someone said it was nice to put the face to the voice that they hear so often. Oh, that's, uh, I, I, I liked hearing that. That's lovely. Yeah, it lovely. is. Just, we, do, we do read your comments, um, you know, and we, we read them yeah. through rose-tinted glasses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Potty, it's always great to have you on a podcast or on a, one of our talking videos or, or getting you on a live. Yeah. Uh, but how are you getting on? Because obviously you're, you're still stuck up in Dublin. You haven't... I'm still stuck up in Dublin. My, my parents are being jabbed as... Uh, uh, recently, my didn't my father had is fully vaccinated. Nice, highly endorses the vaccine. Yeah, uh, and he's he's plotting. A, I'm sure he's plotting a huge party with all of the other vaccinated people. It's a, we can hug people again. He's an affectionate man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, I miss hugs. <laughs> Mom is is halfway there. Mom's had her first, so we're all very very relieved. Yeah, uh, I have to go home to my father and top up the carriness <laughs> you know, before I become too uh, this, Dublin Dublinophile. See, as someone from Dublin, listening to you, it's like, like there's no fear. There's no, <laughs> there's no fear of you becoming too no. Dublin. Uh, but I do know that any time you've been home in the last five years that you've been in been in Dublin, uh, you always do come back a bit more, uh, a bit more Kerry, a bit more country. It's a, yeah. well, it's a very infectious accent. And because the North Kerry accent is is uh, just ever so much more insidious insidious than the, yeah. the South Kerry accent, you don't actually realise that you're you're doing it until it's too late. Is there is there a big kind of divide between North and South Kerry? Um, I I always think that the the West Limerick accent coming into North Kerry because you, you have to imagine yeah. that North Kerry is flat. West Limerick is flat, but South Kerry is much higher up. Yeah. So there is a bit of a uh, geographical and spiritual divide between North and South Kerry. Do they go on about being from Kerry as much as people from North Kerry? Um, I would think even more so, the South <laughs> Kerry people. Uh, but I think for South Kerry people as well, there is nowhere else other than Kerry. <laughs> you know, nowhere is more beautiful. Nowhere there is uh, there, there's no point having a conversation about where is the most beautiful place in the world. I live there. <laughs> well, know? listen, I'm just going through our allocations of the word Kerry in the podcast. <laughs> uh, they're what careful now because there were three remaining, and I just used one of them to explain that. Oh, so get it out of your system. Okay. <laughs> but just to show that there's no animosity between the Kerry people and the Dublin people. One left. <laughs> Maybe save it till the end. Let's, 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 <laughs> Dublin party. Let's talk a little bit about Dublin. Well, I mean, you've been calling Dublin your home for the last five years. I have. I I'm have. born it's and my, raised in Dublin. It's my home base, my, my military dispatch. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because when we look at our stories, when we do our field trips in the museum body, we, it's like we get on our bus with Brian the driver and we, we head off out around the country. And I worry sometimes that are we... And, I, and again, I worry about my own bias. Are, are we neglecting Dublin? Dublin obviously doesn't have Ventry Beach, you know, it, it, yeah. it doesn't have like the Hill of Tower, it doesn't have these sites, but 
Dublin has great things. Uh, I do feel a little bit like if we were, if Tom was taking us on one of our field trips, and it was uh, a we took in the Freemasons Hall or something yeah. like that, we'd feel a little bit like, come on now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where's the spice? <laughs> where's the... Yeah, because I know when we went to Sligo, a place like that was all about the spice. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's like there's so many beautiful things in Dublin. There's, uh, like I said, the Freemasons Hall is lovely. Yeah. The old library in Trinity College is gorgeous. Yeah. A, a favourite spot of yours, Marsh's Library. Marsh's Library is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the even Mount Jerome, and I know Mount Jerome is a graveyard, but it's great. And, and Glass Nevin Cemetery. They're, yeah. They're graveyards, but there's still some kind of weird gothic beauty to the, the places. There is, but also in such a kind of bustling area, they are amazing kind of patches of peace within, within, yeah. within Dublin like I do like getting to those places mm. I was off up the Hellfire Club yesterday up in Massey's yeah. Wood and, and up on Montpellier Hill yesterday for a walk and it was amazing because you look out over Dublin and it was amazing the way the sun was coming in wow. it caught the front of the convention centre oh, so wow. from all the way up there you could just see that angle and, yeah. and just the bright spot of the convention centre mm. and it was amazing to look over Dublin like that and think where are all the stories yeah <laughs> <laughs> Has it? Uh, you're you're still a young man, obviously, but um, has it changed much? Yeah, it really has. It really has. I mean, for me, it's. I mean, thank you calling me a young man, but like in my forty years of consciousness, because uh, I don't consider the first few years. Uh, you know what I mean I mean what was I doing party I was filling nappies and eating and sleeping that's that's all I did up until the age of 11 Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I suppose it's changed an awful lot for me but I I suppose I'm seeing Dublin differently now over the last 12 months where where we do get to come into the museum like for me it's twice a week and walking through the city and you'll notice things that you hadn't seen before but there's I don't know if Dublin works when there's not bodies in it and I suppose in that way, it's very like the museum itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? We walk through the museum and it only comes alive when you've got the people in it. Yeah. And I think when it comes to stories and, and the storytelling, I think I think Dublin people, to focus on them, um, are, are great storytellers. They, they par- impart knowledge, wisdom. None of the words seem right. <laughs> they, 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 they offload... Dump trucks worth of of words, yeah. um, in, in a in a in a beautiful way. So it's amazing when you come across someone from an area. Right. You know, I mean, I can tell stories about Donegal, you know, about anywhere in, yeah. in the country. But I think there's something special when you get a story from a local person. True, very true. And again, like when you, I suppose when you do, you know, when you tell talk about where you're from you <laughs> I'm not I'm not using up the last one for you um, but when you go down to then you recognise so much of your words in the landscape and, and you know you're a good representation of the people but it's like again when we go on our field trips we'll get brought somewhere we'll always meet we'll always meet a local uh, yeah. whether it's pre-arranged or, or not yes. you know it could just be in a little coffee shop we get talking to someone yeah. but um They've got such an emotional buy-in to the stories. Mm-hmm. And I suppose our storytellers have been from... Where have, we had, where have we had storytellers from? You're here five years, so you've worked with a, oh, yeah. half I've, of them. Like I've worked with uh, people from uh, Sligo. Uh, and Cork. Cork. We had Honour there, true. special mention to Honour. I yeah. hope she 
gets to hear this. Uh, and Neve, of course, from, from our, our Sligo lady. Yeah. Um, Lots from Kildare we've had. You know. Many uh, dubs, obviously. Yeah, many dubs. And let me see now. Who else was there? It's just, I mean, it's, it's a strange mix. You've got Wicklow, Wicklow we've had Wexford. Loud. Le- yeah, we've had Loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is great because you get all those accents. And I suppose when people come over, especially as, as, as visitors from overseas, yeah. I mean, it must be strange for them to get exposed to so many different accents in such a small kind of square footage. I, I think so. And as well, um, the way Irish folklore is set up, like if you're an American and you, you buy online Treasury of Irish Folk Tales, yeah. right, you fall in love with you. But in, unless you're well-travelled, it might as well be Middle Earth from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, and then you come here and it must be a little bit like being transported into a fantasy world because suddenly everyone is from that town. In, yeah. yeah. They know yeah. where Skibbereen is because uh, who hasn't been Skibbereen, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I suppose it's the fact that we can, like, because I think because an awful lot of visitors come in through Dublin, you know, into the country, that we're an introduction to the landscape for, yeah. for, for, for so many of them. But I think it's nice as well that when we do have our Dublin storytellers, and I wouldn't consider myself particularly Dublin, but I think that's probably in the same way everyone thinks they don't have an accent. <laughs> um, but we're going to listen to a story today by one of our storytellers. Um, you know, a, a fa- I'm not afraid to say a favourite of both of ours. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lenny. And uh, it's a very local story to where it's where they're actually from. Yeah. And it kind of gives you that flavour of like a level of understanding and passion and, and buy-in that you get from a local storyteller. Yeah. Well, let's listen to the story then from Lenny and Paddy will have a catch-up after, after it. Yeah. And I'll see you on the other side of it then, Paddy. See you on the other side. It is curious that the most commonly told story in my town, it should have its basis in old superstition. You see, people of Baldoyle believed that the body of a murdered corpse, it would bleed afresh when touched by the murderer itself. And this was a practice here that lasted well into the 19th century. And this is where our story takes place of the curse of a Baldoyle widow. On a night, a cold winter's night of 1803, a ship belonging to an East India company was ravaged, wrecked by a mighty storm that spread out all across Hoth, Baldoyle and Ireland's eye. And as the story went, the incident, it proved devastating for the passengers and crew who all died and perished amongst the sea. But the same, however, was not said of the people living along the coast. As a guard was placed to protect the ship and riches, but a considerable part of this cargo, it had just floated away. And the fishermen and the people of the town, they reaped in the fine cargoes of the ship for laces, silks, tobaccos and wine did it have, which were found scattered out all amongst the coastline of Baldoyle. But with this ship ready to snap in two, the guard was summoned to leave. But Miss Sullivan, an old wise woman known to many in these parts of Baldoyle, she approached a well-to-do farmer whose name, unfortunately, was actually never known, but for the sake of the story, we're going to call him Driscoll. 
who lived near Baldoyle and she pitched a savage idea to him. There was still plenty to be saved on that ship and if a horse and cart might be sent out, there would be plenty of riches for all. At first the farmer refused to entertain this idea, but eventually he allowed himself to be persuaded, greatly against the advice of his wife. But at 11 o'clock that night, under the cover of pitch darkness, four horses and four carts were sent, and Miss Sullivan told where they could retrieve this treasure. It quickly emerged Miss Sullivan had greatly miscalculated the timing of tide, and the water began to rise and rise and surround all the wheels and carts, and the farmer who couldn't swim wished to go back. The man he had brought was by the name of Darby, and Darby persuaded, go on, go on, we'll be reaching the high pit of sand very, very soon. But at this point, all other three vehicles had turned to escape. But when Driscoll finally made the decision to abort, that tide was so high that that horse began to swim. Darby, who had mounted the back of the horse, was clinging on to its mane. The farmer was clinging on to him, dragging off the back of his coat. This water rose high and it rose higher until Darby, seeing the position was becoming desperate, became anxious for his own life and slipped off out of the arms of this heavy jacket, leaving the farmer encumbered with the jacket on top of him. And then he began to swim for the shore with the cries and screams of the farmer well left behind to drown. And it is said that Darby turned up to this farmer's wake the next day and explained, began to cry, that he had done all he could to rescue the man but was obliged to leave due to his own struggles. And at the time it was custom for every man woman to place one hand on the body at the wake. And when Darby did so, It is said that this corpse began to bleed and the widow immediately, murderer, murderer, she began to cry and she placed a curse on him that he might die the same way as her husband did. There was no proof of the actual accusation but Darby thought it best to leave the town and he did. He went to Wexford and began a horrible life of crime and when he was eventually tracked down and returned back to Baldoyle he found no hope of escape from the police who chased and chased him and they chased him out onto the beach as he began to swim further and further out to the land of Ireland's eye. His strength however was no strength for the ocean and he drowned not too far from the scene of his former treachery. This fulfilling the widow's curse of the farmer he had left to drown years prior. Well, Paddy, that wasn't exactly the happiest story, was it? No, no. It was very satisfying, though. It was That's like, the thing. It was, it, it was uh, like a, a beef roast, or uh, yeah. yeah, it's a real, it's a Sunday dinner, everything. Because, I mean, that people we comment an awful lot about the fact that our stories don't have happy endings. Yes, but they generally get resolved. They do. They, there's a, a little bit of catharsis, as they say, at the at the other end of it. There's, uh, you know, those stories that aren't designed to go on and on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. 
That's yeah. the big difference for me in terms of our folklore and mythology. The, the, yeah. the folklore tends to be one-offs. Like, you'll meet yeah. characters like, um, you know what I mean, in The Man Who Had No, no Story. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's your man's name? It was Pat, Pat Diver. Yeah. But you'll only ever hear the name once. And then they don't show up in other stories. But again, I think that's evidence of who's listening to the stories. You've got the, maybe the higher-ups listening to the mythology yeah. being told by the storyteller and them having an awful lot of of downtime, whereas you need the shorter stories in for the ordinary Irish yeah. in the 19th century because, you know, they have to get up very early in the morning, yeah. milk the cows, you know, and prepare for the harvest. But there's also having access to a storyteller because obviously with, with the Shanachie being traditionally considered as itinerant storytellers yes. who travelled around, you, 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 they were seasonal kind of entertainment. They were. You didn't have someone at your beck and call to tell you stories. Um but with the mythology, yeah, you could tune in every day. More like a soap opera. Yeah. Like, like watching Fair City. or uh, I nearly said Bracken, but I don't think most people would get Bracken as a reference. It was a precursor to Glen Rowe. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember Lovejoy from that time, but that's about yeah. it. Yeah. And Bergerac. <laughs> oh, we're going off and we're there. But it, yes, about them being resolved, there is this thing like kind of with them, like people do get their comeuppance. And it's kind of tidy in that way. Yeah, there's often a moral to these stories. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, but there's also the thing of the, 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 the justice, I suppose, is another way of saying it, but these yeah. prophecies where you know what has to happen yes. for it to come right. So in this case, it's a case of the murderer, you know, being held accountable for their actions. And it's... You can tell that it's a, a, a very... It's the story is trying to moralise because there's no grey area. No. You know, nobody asks if Darby was frightened or if uh, he was scared and just couldn't rescue the man physically and survive himself. Yeah. Everyone goes, well, you didn't do your job, so you have to die. So it's it's black and white in that sense. But if he had tried to save him, they probably both could have been lost. And, if it, and in the end, that's what you get. Two people yeah. dead rather than just one. Yeah. But the folk beliefs about around the corpse, just there's so many of them. Yeah, I was actually uh, watching someone online, it was on TikTok, it was a, a Lebanese gentleman who's living in Ireland now, and right. he was talking about the similarities between Keening and their own version of it, about yeah. the lamenting over a body and talking to the body in terms of like, why did you, guilt tripping a corpse into why, <laughs> why they left, you know? Um, but yeah, the death customs and that are, are, are very strange, all right. Yeah, there's, um, there's, the, there's the basics, obviously. The, the, when the body dies, you lift it off the bed. Yeah. So that their spirit doesn't get trapped in the mattress. <laughs> I thought was really weird. Uh, stopping all the clocks, of course, and yeah. covering the, the mirrors, the with, mirrors. A, with a black cloth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy stuff. And then the, the one about using dead skin to capture a lover. Yeah. Yeah, with myself and Eleanor that. were talking about that recently. Yeah. A strip of skin from the shoulder to the heel. Yeah. Um, actually, a lot of customs around kind of birth and life, birth and, and death, yeah. are going to be kind of similar because it's, I suppose, the, the pre Christian thing is that it was all kind of just an ongoing kind of circle. Mm. Um, but but they're just the dealing, how they deal with some of these things in, in the stories is just. But Barrick. Yeah, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if people believed that if a murderer touched a corpse, the corpse would begin to bleed. Yeah, it's the same in the story of the Sons of Turin, 
uh, where the weapon that kills will, will call out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to get, yeah, you're going to get ratted out. Um, Ironically, though, if the corpse is bleeding, it means it's not dead. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but enough of these things would have come from, you know, things that people experience and trying yeah. to understand. Realistically, it's probably not bleeding. It's yeah. some kind of seepage. <laughs> <laughs> some kind of, yeah, maybe this is... Lovely. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's an image for you. Lovely. The idea that your people are listening to this while having their, on their lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Lenny's telling of that story. It's so funny for me, though, because like hearing the stories in isolation, hearing a storyteller in isolation, like that's that's a beautifully told story. And we listen to two of us. Yeah. We know how talented uh, Leanne is. That's the name she introduces herself with. Um, but it's so funny. You get so much more out of it, the more experience and understanding you have, both of a story and of the storyteller. Yeah, she's very good at embodying a character as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the dodgy accents, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it is hard, especially when you're just talking about, like, I'd say, like we are on a podcast, yeah. trying to distinguish between characters in a story. I know in the museum or yeah. when I'm physically in front of people telling stories, you'll take on things, whether it's a, a yeah. way that you hold yourself, like you'll drop one arm, you'll stand yeah. differently. So much harder to do when you're talking about pure audio. And yeah, definitely. And it's one of the first things we train people when they come in here and start doing storytelling is to, that if you do all of the characters the same, people will, will won't be as interested. Yeah, you know. So you you don't need to do a funny voice. But uh, no, you don't need to do a funny voice. Okay, well then I'm going to throw a question at you, and it's normally yeah. Eleanor doing this to me yeah. on stuff, but. In all the characters and all the folk tales you, you've told, Body, yeah. who's the character that you like the most to to be in oh terms God. of playing a part? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I feel different things for for each of them. Yeah, there's uh, uh, there's the great scene where um, Cool Colin is is threatening Fair Kerda in the death of Kuri. Yeah, that's just very. Is something very enjoy? It speaks to a kind of animal, kind of bestial thing in you that you modern people don't experience yeah. anymore. I'd never act like the cave of Kesh Cord as well is one I enjoy you telling because of all the different hats you put on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, throughout yeah. the story because you, you kind of tell as well, even from the way the original manuscript, not the manuscript, but the original. The way we received it in the nineteenth century of Kishkorn. Yeah. you could kind of Conan is a smart arse. Yeah, uh, really and truly. Now it's it's the kind of way that men are around each other anyway. Yeah, you know, uh, when they're when they're being their best selves in, in lieu of genuine emotion, showing genuine emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think is is what you're yeah. getting at. But it's like when I love the uh, the. Rath Coffee Puka, which is the donkey one, which I always imagine the donkey as being super camp. <laughs> I love that, but I also, at the same time, I love being like the changeling in the brewery of eggshells. Oh, yeah. And I, these are just characters that, that come alive uh-huh. when you just tweak a little bit. Yeah. You know, you, you bring the shoulders up and you, you hunch your back a little bit and suddenly you're you're a, a tiny elderly baby. <laughs> and the great thing about the Red Sox story as well, I know we... Uh, like the Red Sox is probably our introductory yeah. story here. Uh, the, the, is the range of emotions that go through that 
is actually yeah. surprising. If you yeah. look at the a five minute story, there's the there's the there's anger, there's slyness, there there's hope, there's everything in yeah, there. Yeah, and, and, and pure despair and, and loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it as well. But that's funny because it just just listening to Lenny and I suppose the more we listen to these stories, the more we kind of start breaking them down. You know, it's yeah. not just a, it's it's more than just you know listen to a story, yeah. uh, but Lenny does it fantastically. And you'd wonder, I know I've wondered listening to all of you tell stories is like how much of it are you consciously doing? I for me, yeah. Anyway, it's very unconscious. Yeah, I make the best uh, jokes or move body movements or that kind of thing. Um, not on purpose. And how are you listening back to your stories or watching yourself? Um, I, I'm not great, to be honest with you. You'd rather just do it. Yeah. And, and put um, it away. Yeah. I I look at it and I think, well, you could have done it that way or you could have done it that way. You could have... But in the moment, it was it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but See, I, I, know how skilled Len, I know how skilled Lenny is. Yeah. And I'd have to think to be coming across that natural and yet so yeah. the accuracy it's like yeah. that's that's your that's not your mind in your way of doing yeah. things body that's someone that's that's proper yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i we, another thing we used to say in training is that um be natural but deliberate yeah 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 you know don't uh, when you move your hand be conscious of where your hand is going at the same time you know of um, and we don't just mean accidentally smacking someone in the face in the well room, which is quite dark. <laughs> <laughs> Falling into the trees. <laughs> we could put together a list of good tips for people telling stories, I think, in here. Oh, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. But in terms of nailing a short kind of classic story, I think Lenny has nailed that one. Oh, yeah. From the setting, you know, you could see all of the riches washing ashore in Baldoy. Yeah. Uh, and you could see the people trying to sneak in and take bits off the beach, but there was someone who was whose job it was to watch them. Reminds me of Poldark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've both yeah. watched it then. Yeah. Just for Aiden Turner, I'd imagine as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that brings us very neatly to the end of our podcast, Bar. I'll I'll get I'll let you be the one to say goodbye because you've got one you've got one of the K word left, Bobby. So how do you want to say goodbye to us? <laughs> oh no you put you put me under pressure I know could, I did that on how, purpose how on earth could I bring Kerry into saying goodbye well you've just done it because that was your last <laughs> one so on that note <laughs> you spoiled it for yourself body uh, guys thank you so much Lenny thank you so much for your story Potty for your companionship throughout this journey that was the podcast and to you guys for listening and we have plenty more podcasts if this is your first one that you've happened across go and check out the other ones you'll also find us live on facebook at three o'clock on tuesdays three o'clock on thursdays on instagram you can go to facebook and watch our talking videos and you'll get to see what potty looks like uh, but with and without facial hair if you look at a recent one and uh, you can go across onto our youtube channel and watch all of our videos that we've made on there thank you again so much guys for joining us and we will see you next time goodbye from me mark bye interwebs